Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, we are in the second week of a series that um, we're referencing as poetic um, because we're looking at some of the poetic language the scriptures used to help us to understand God. Um, God knew uh, that we um, would need some help. Um, And so if you just take your um, Bible app or your um, paper bulletin that we've led with this idea that God uses things that we see and know to help us to understand him, to help us understand him, even though, even though he is bigger and more wonderful than the things we can see and know. So, but he wants a relationship with him. And we've led with this um, scripture right here. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now, initially, as you read through this, we say, okay, God's invisible qualities. Well, of course, God is invisible. He's not visible to us. It would take me an entire message, and I've done, and we've done it before. You can find it in our podcast, where I talk about what a beautiful thing of grace it is that we have no sense knowledge of the spirit realm, okay? It is a wonderful, gracious thing. It's God's love that lets us have no sense knowledge of the spirit realm. And just the nugget of that is if we understood how dead in our sins we were, if we had sense knowledge of it, I don't know that any of us could have faith that we could be made right with God. We, we, just, we just wouldn't have the faith for it. We, we, we have a hard time having faith for things we know can happen. Like when money gets tight, you know, and we know there are people on this planet that could write a check and fix that. We know that's a doable thing. And we still have our faith shaken with things that we know are doable. How much more when things that only God can do, God's preserved us so that we can receive it by faith without having to battle our sense knowledge of understanding how dead in our sins we actually are before Christ. And so, but and with this, then we think that when we see this, God's invisible qualities, we're just like, well, that's just kind of God. God is this place of he is just 100% invisible qualities, and we just put that in the God realm. But here's the truth is... All of us, what, who we really are, they're invisible qualities. They're invisible qualities. Now, I dearly love my wife, and I like her visible qualities. Now, I've always liked her visible qualities. But who I fell in love with are her invisible qualities, the ones that you have to spend time with her to get to know These things that whenever she passes one day, those who love her will mourn the loss of the interaction of those invisible qualities. That's the whole point of the whole dating thing. 
We kind of like the visible qualities and go, okay, yeah, I could look at you a lot, you know. Um, I'm, I'm on, I would enjoy looking at you on a regular basis. And so we, then we start a conversation and say, hey, let's go out and have a meal. And at that meal, we begin to try to discover their invisible qualities. We begin to say, is this person compassionate? Is this person have similar shared interests? Is there different things? And you've all experienced it who've done the dating thing where you enjoyed someone's visible qualities and you very soon found, I don't like their invisible qualities. I don't like their invisible qualities and I'm out of this relationship. This is not for me. And it was the invisible qualities that were there. Well, guess what? Just like real relationships are about knowing the invisible qualities, a real relationship with God is about knowing his invisible qualities. So even those of us who have obvious visible qualities, the depth of our relationship is found in the invisible qualities, and God wants you to know him on that kind of level. God wants you to know him on the invisible qualities level. And he has given hints. He has made things available and given us some understandings of what of on the outside. We can begin to get a little bit of somebody's invisible qualities by the visible qualities that they and decisions they've made. Okay? You know, you can begin to decide something about me by the fact that I'm wearing this shirt and these pants and these shoes. Okay? I made that decision. Somebody didn't make it for me. And so you can say, okay, he probably doesn't live on a ranch. There you go. You know, he probably doesn't know how to handle a steer. There you go. I don't, you know. And so he probably enjoys vacationing with his family. Yes, I do. And so there are some things that can be inferred, but you actually have to spend time with me to actually know if those invisible qualities are real based on the things that were outwardly made available. God has put some outward stuff there. He wants us to be able to do it, and that's what Romans 1.20 tells us. And so, but we want to lean in and learn God's invisible qualities, and part of how his, the scriptures have done that because it's written is through metaphor, okay? And metaphor gives us a glimpse into one truth about God, one thing that is true about God. And we will use this little visual throughout this entire series. I used it last week. And so we want to go ahead and put up my visual of our cylinder, okay? So we take our cylinder there and we shoot light at it from one angle and the shadow, the visible thing that begins to be projected there on the left um, is this puts out a shadow of a square. And so you sit there and you look at that and go, okay, well, then what I'm going to deduce from the actual object is that it's a cube. It's a square. Maybe it's a flat piece of paper that's square, but it's, it's a square. I'm confident because I see that. But then you shoot it from another angle, and although that first one is true, we look at it from another angle and it makes a circle, and a circle has nothing to do with a square. And you're like, okay, and that one also is true. But to be able to understand the truth, 
we have to understand how these two true things come together. And that is how the metaphors go. And so many times we can get fixated on one metaphor about God and not take in the fullness of what the scriptures have to say. And the truth is, is a lot of church infighting is fighting about things that are true about God and missing the truth about God. And we want to make sure that we don't let ourselves fall into that trap, that we grab a hold of one or two things that are true about God, but we miss the full truth about God. And so last week we talked about the metaphor of God as our rock. And, and so and if this is one series, I'm going to really encourage you that if you miss a week, um, find it. You can replay it on Facebook. You go to our Facebook page. You can watch the service or just listen to it as you're driving around. You can catch it on our podcast. You can catch it on our website. But because each of these things begins to be a part of that cylinder, it begins to sew together a fuller image of who God is. And today, not only is God, it's true that he is our rock, but he is not only our rock. He is also, God wants to be, our shepherd. He wants to be our shepherd. And although a rock is a wonderful foundation, it's pretty static, it's pretty immovable, and then all of a sudden we see that our lives are fluid. Our lives move around. Our lives have progress and regress and steps that we take. And yes, it's nice to be able to have a firm foundation to do that. But all of a sudden it can feel like we're still maybe out in the cold. We have something solid to stand on, but we're left on our own. And the truth of God being our shepherd gets layered on top of that idea that he is our rock, that we can rely on him and he will lead and guide and care us and be present with us at every point in the journey. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 11. Ezekiel is prophesying. It says, and this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them. So will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. What a beautiful thing that God wants to be our shepherd, that he's going to go after us. And what a beautiful thing that here, God understands that we as sheep, if we get focused on our days of clouds and darkness, our tendency is to scatter. Our tendency on days of clouds and darkness isn't to lean into our shepherd. Our tendency on days of clouds and darkness is to pull away is to scatter is to freak out is to go in the wrong direction and here is this beautiful thing it, it's that th this heart of a compassionate shepherd says i'm going to go get you where you scattered to he is the the one going after this thing where jesus says i leave the 99 and i go after the one who scattered he's not the angry shepherd saying you stupid sheep try to make it without me Try to make it. Good luck. You should have been like the 99 who stayed close. No, he goes after. He pursues. He pursues. This morning, 
if you're feeling under condemnation, that somehow you're not as close to God as you once were because of some days of clouds and darkness, you have a good shepherd who's pursued you. That's why you're here right now. It's not your guilt drawing you in there. It's the Holy Spirit drawing you into this space. It's the Holy Spirit pursuing you. It's the Holy Spirit gathering you close to Him again. That is what's at work. But then when we marry this thing with the truth we learned last week of, the, of God is the rock and that we are, Jesus tells us that if we hear His words, listening to the voice of the Good Shepherd, we hear His words and, and do what He says, they're like the one who built their house on the rock. And the winds blew and the rains beat and the stream rose. Some days of clouds and darkness came. But you built on the rock and what didn't happen? Didn't scatter. Days of clouds of darkness came and we didn't scatter. All of a sudden, we begin to put these metaphors for who he is. We begin to see how to live life in him. Yet again, as a pastor, I wish there were not days of clouds and darkness. But on this planet, right here, right now, there will be and there all will be. The only place there are not days of clouds and darkness is in heaven itself. And the fact that we are longing for that, that we don't like these days of clouds and darkness, reminds us we're built for another environment. We're not built for this place. We're built to be close to him. We're built to stay with him. We're built to live with him. That's what we're built for, and it's a reminder. And don't let it make you hate this space. Let it make you long for that space. Let it give you fo heaven focus, not just hate where you're at at the moment. And all of a sudden, it will change the way things function. Verse 13 says, I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. This scattering, it can have you completely change your location. Scatter you into places you should have never been. Scatter you into places that you, where you're, you're, there's a foreign languages being spoken, foreign activities being done, where you don't belong. And he says, I'm going to go into those spaces and I'm going to gather you in. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel and in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land and they, there they will lie down in good grazing land and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. That is his intent. Not just to gather us of where we scattered on the days of evil and just hold us by our ear and say, don't you ever do that again. He is there to bring us into where we belong. Not just to take us out of where we don't belong, but to take us into where we do belong. To complete the full process. I want us to look at the most well-known psalm. Just about everybody in the U.S. I would venture to say 95% of adults in the U.S. have heard this psalm at some point in their life. They may not even tell you that it's found in the Bible. They may not tell you that it's Psalm 23. But they've been somewhere at some point and have heard this space. And for those of us who are believers, we've heard it a lot. 
and we contend when we had a lot of experience with something, we begin to go, oh, I know that, and begin to maybe diminish our, our leaning into it. But let's, let's not do that this morning. Let's look at Psalm 23 with some fresh eyes. And right off the beginning, it's the Psalm of David. David, who was a shepherd himself, that's how he began his working life. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. David knew how frustrating sheep were. And when he understood how, how what God wanted to do in his life and he saw his own tensions and he saw his own frustrations, he's like, God, I'm as frustrating as a sheep. But you shepherd me. You love me. You pursue me. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. I shall not want. Folks, in a day and age where we have shopping at our fingertips and, and just inundated, everything is monetized. As soon as a platform begins to get some traction, people figure out a way how to put little tiny three-second commercials in front of our face. And all of a sudden, there's just this thing to produce wanting and longing for different things and different activities in us. And guess what? The only way... To ever actually be at peace with your life is to let God be your shepherd. If he's not your shepherd, you will be in an endless cycle of wanting and wanting and wanting and wanting. There is no place of being satisfied unless we're in him. But the Lord's my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me to lie down into green pastures and he This is where he's wanting to take us. Green pastures, still waters. That's what every sheep is desiring and wanting. He restores my soul. David understood the significance of mental health well before it ever became a buzzword. The scriptures have been speaking to your mental health for centuries and centuries. And just in the last few years, America has decided maybe this is something that's significant. And I said, no, pastor, he's saying he restores my soul. Isn't that a spiritual thing? No, our spirit is a spiritual thing. Our soul are our invisible qualities, our mind, our will, our emotions. And we need our invisible qualities restored. That mental health stuff that everybody's talking about, it's our soul our mind, our will, and emotions, and it gets worn down and beat down, and it needs restoration, and he's the one that wants to do it. Part of him being a good shepherd, leading us and guiding us, isn't to squeeze every little bit of money and volunteerism out of you as he possibly can, to just fleece you and get all the good fleece off of you and just chunk you out in the pasture and go next. No, sadly, church will do that to you. Sadly, church can do that sometimes. But our good shepherd, he doesn't want to do that. He wants to restore our soul. He wants to say, you know what? Why don't you just sit down and rest? Why don't you lay down? Why don't you take a rest? And he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. As we allow him to be our shepherd all of a sudden, everything in our lives starts pointing back to him. It starts giving him glory. And the decisions we make, what's happened in our life, it begins to give him glory. And then all of a sudden, 
days of clouds and darkness show up again. Show up again. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. The good shepherd walks with us when life begins to come in and bring that shadow of death there. Here's the beautiful thing is it's not death itself. It's the shadow. And you know what every shadow tells you is there's a light somewhere. Every shadow tells you there's a light somewhere. And that thing begins to try to get. It's the reason it casts a shadow is it's, be, it's between what it's casting the shadow on and it's between the light. So even when something tries to get between you and the source of light, he is still with you. Even when someone begins to try to block out God's goodness and try to block out who he is, he is still with you in the moment. It's not that he's over there being blocked. He's walking. You just can't see it. And he says, you know what? Even when these things come, I don't have to fear evil. Because you are with me, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. If someone is attacking you, if you will let him be your shepherd, get ready for a feast. If somebody's being an enemy to you, he, he is going to all of a sudden bring a feast into your life. The enemy doesn't win. The enemy doesn't win. We don't have to be afraid when all of a sudden somebody's being an adversary in our life or situation is being an enemy in our life or, or, the, or the shadow of death begins to loom. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, for a long time, that one kind of bothered me. I want goodness and mercy kind of right here in my arms, you know. I want them like side by side, but it says they're following me. Well, wait a second. I read the whole psalm. He's made me lie down in green pastures. He's given me a feast. He set me beside still waters. He's with me in the dark. I've got everything I need, but if I let him be my shepherd, something comes behind me. Who I let leads me impact who follows me. All of a sudden, everything, if I will let him lead me, then get all of a sudden, guess what's left going behind me goodness and mercy what kind of legacy do you want to leave if you let him be your shepherd he will make sure you leave a legacy of goodness and mercy this past Monday I was able to uh, take uh, my, my little girls out fishing with my dad we went out on good old world-renowned fishing lake Lake Nasworthy and so, and uh, believe it or not, the, the, the guy at the bait shop said that the day before, a 14-pound bass was caught. And on a 100-degree day, I'm telling there's like, there's like a Jaws somewhere in Lake Nasworthy. We did not find Jaws. Uh, we found like something Jaws wanted to eat. And so, um, but as we're going through um, and, and finding some spots uh, to fish, um, you know, then there's the little buoys. Uh, that say, um, slow, no wake. Um, well, Pressy, my eight-year-old, um, she was only familiar, um, you know, with wake, like waking up. And she's like, 
this makes no sense. You know, this sign, I don't get this. What is this slow, no wake? And so my dad and I began to try to, you know, make her understand what a wake was, a boat's wake. And all of a sudden, it's the ripples of those things that have come behind where the boat have been. And there's space on the lake, and I get it, where people want you to kind of slow down and don't do anything that disturbs me. Don't let anything bother my shore. Don't let anything bother the other boats. And sometimes as Christians, we can begin to feel like that, that if we can just get through life and not bother anybody, I'm going to putt and I'm going to love Jesus and I'm going to not make any ripples. If we're not going to make any ripples, how is goodness and mercy going to follow us? If we're not moving through and headed with the direction, allow the power of the Holy Spirit to be turned up in our lives a little bit and create some wake. And, and all of a sudden, now those waves begin to spill out and impact who knows where. God has called us to make a difference. We were told to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Doesn't it sound like stepping into a chaotic space God, even the shadow of death, the good shepherd leading us, and on the backside of leaving the shadow of death, there's goodness and mercy following. All of a sudden, there's chaos in a family. There's chaos at work, and you begin to step in, and the Spirit of God begins to just kind of lead you and direct you on how to interact and how to respond. And all of a sudden, people just begin to feel a little better. The, the, The tension begins to die down. Reconciliation begins to be made and goodness and mercy. All of a sudden, you're down to your next calling, but people are still enjoying the goodness and mercy that came from the way you let God shepherd you. Every encounter, we either can create chaos or we can let him shepherd us and goodness and mercy can follow us. Him being your shepherd isn't just about you. It's about everybody that comes behind you. We, this is vital for us and our lives. It absolutely changes everything. Let's go ahead and look at Matthew 9. And says, but when he, this is Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. What was the heart of God with the scattered sheep in Ezekiel? He wanted to gather them in. He wanted to go after them. And then he said to his disciples, Jesus is moved with compassion. He sees that it's like them not having a shepherd. And he tells his disciples, the harvest is truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He didn't say, send out just me. Send out the one to come and do it. Jesus paid the price. Jesus did it all. But his plan was to work through his people and always has been. When Jesus begins to see people scattered, he immediately calls on the body to begin to do something about it. The shepherd will begin to call on the body, the people, the the believers to be the laborers in the field. See, Jesus is the good shepherd, and he takes care of us. John 10, 11, Jesus, knowing 
Psalm 23, knowing Ezekiel, knowing all of the kajillion reference to, to what a sh- God wanting to be shepherd, Jesus declares, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He goes on to say that the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away and the wolf attacks and the flock, sca- flock and it scatters. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them in also. And here as he is talking to a bunch of Jewish followers, he is talking about Brandon Clark who is as Gentile as they come. And he's like, you know what? There's a Brandon Clark, and he belongs in my sheep pen. You think he don't belong, but he... God, the people you think don't belong, God has a heart for. People, he has to remind us, you know what? There's, you're, you're my sheep, but there's some sheep you don't think I'm going to reach, and I'm going to reach them. There's some sheep you think are too far out and too far scattered, and I can reach them. And he reminded us that he can reach them. They too will listen to my voice and and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And then Hebrews 13 tells us now, may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you, what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We continue. He didn't just call himself the good shepherd. All the early church continued to reference him as the good shepherd. He is the one who wants to lead and guide and direct, protect. And give us all the help we need. And I want to close with this one with First Peter 2. It says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That's the cross. That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. And by whose stripes you were healed. Part of that atoning work that Jesus accomplished was for physical healing, too. He wants to see us live in a restored place. And for you, we're like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. As we're closing in on this, I want to go back to Psalm 23, where David decrees this. The Lord is my shepherd. And I want to challenge you. Understanding that he is the shepherd is important. But he wants to be your shepherd. And only you can make that decision. You can recognize that he is the shepherd and not argue with that fact. And argue with him being your shepherd all the time. So I want to challenge you. Our bottom line is this. Let Jesus be your shepherd. Let him be your shepherd. Let him lead you. Let him guide you. Let him direct your life. Because in that, 
That's where the peace is. That's where the shelter in the storm is. That's where the impact you want to have to come behind you, the goodness and mercy following you. You want that? I know you do. None of us want to be a source of pain to the people in our lives. We don't. And yet we hurt the people we love all the time. It's because we're not letting him be our shepherd. We're not letting him lead and guide us. So let's just dial that in. Let's, let's choose to let him be our shepherd this morning. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.